Do you feel that cool breeze? Are a few more leaves starting to change? Flowers looking like they are done? Relax. It's just October. Welcome to the Garden Angelus, where we talk about flowers, veggies, and all the best dirt. I'm Carol Michael from Indianapolis, Indiana, where I have a suburban garden measured in square feet. And I'm Dean Ash from Guthrie, Oklahoma, where I garden on several acres out in the country. We call ourselves Garden Angelus because we are evangelists for gardening. We love gardening, and we want others to love it, too. Yes, we do, and we aren't afraid to spill the beans and tell all of our gardening secrets, the good, the bad, and even the ugly. But that's enough of who, what, when, where. Let's move on to this week's episode. Hello, Carol. Hello, Dee. How does your garden grow? Oh, it grows like October. Yeah. How about yours? Like October? Yeah, it looks kind of, it really looks pretty. I mean, I just got back in town. So I'm looking outside and I can see my bluebird asters are in full bloom. And that makes me happy. Pretty. My asters are in full bloom too. And I realized that Alma Potsky, one of my asters, the dark pink one has disappeared. It's disappeared. Yeah. Mine's trying to take over the world. Mine's like, moved to D's garden, I guess. Huh. Weird. So. Anyway, I successfully completed my goal of at least an hour of gardening, more or less, every day in September. Good for you. I'm impressed. Even the day that it fully rained. I did have to adjust the rules for that day and say, well, I went out and planted two shrubs in the rain, so I get credit. (laughs) Yeah, of course you get credit. Yes, you do. So this last week, Dee, it's the most comical looking thing, I'm sure. But I decided that the beds in front that weren't edged with any block or anything that I wanted to put an edging around them. And so I had a pile of these four by four blocks in the backyard, four by four by two inches deep in the garden. And I decided that I would use those. So I hauled those to the front and edge beds. And then I didn't have enough. And those same blocks were edging a path through this one border. But that had kind of sunk down and was disappearing. Mm -hmm. And I had these retaining wall blocks that were along the fence. My nephews had put them there years ago when we had torn out some other stuff. Right. So I had to crawl under all those shrubs and pull those retaining wall blocks out because they were starting to push against the fence. Right. So I pulled those out and stood them up on their ends to line the path, took all the blocks that were by the path, And use that to put in the front around those beds. And I thought, I hope when I'm all done that it doesn't, I don't just move everything back where it was, you know, because I'm moving this block over there and that block over there. And then I'm going to stick this one over here. And, um, you know, I did a little every day because the blocks can get kind of heavy. But in the end, I'm very happy with the path, which is edged with retaining wall stone turned up on its end. So it has sort of a rough edge. I'm very happy with the beds in front that have very nice block around them. And (laughs) in case I wasn't done yesterday, there was a tree in that kind of shrubby area. Yes. um, It's about as wild as it gets in my garden, but there were some rocks that I had put around it years ago and they were kind of disappearing amongst the leaves and the leaf mold and stuff. So I pulled those out yesterday and used those to line a little bed that I have in the back where my peonies are. Wow. You were busy. I don't think you just spent an hour a day. I think you did more. 
some days it was more than an hour, but some days it was just an hour. But, you know, I natter along and I do want to hear about your garden, but uh, the most exciting thing on Saturday, the most exciting thing. What was that? Was that in the vegetable garden? Uh huh. And I looked and I'm like, there's a lot of figs that are ripening. And they were ripening on Chicago Hardy, naturally, since I had said on my blog that Chicago Hardy was <laughs> usually ripens after brown turkey, but this year, not so much. Oh, but there was a great different. big fig on brown turkey, and I'm standing there. And remember last week, we talked about whether wasps around here are smart enough to pollinate figs. Yeah. I stood there and watched a, a wasp go up into a fig. So, you know, they actually are there. If you plant it, they will come. So I went, of course, I grabbed my phone and I stood there for a minute thinking, well, come out, you silly thing. I need to get a video of this. It didn't come out. So I reached to grab the fig. Then it came out. It came out. Did it sting you? No. See, they don't sting you in the garden very often. I didn't eat that fig because it had a wasp. (laughs) (laughs) What left? It did leave, but then I thought wasp are pollinating my figs. I should, you know, I should cut them in. I shouldn't just bite into one. I should cut them in half and make sure there's not one in there. <laughs> I don't think there's one in there. I think you're freaking yourself out for nothing. I'm not but... freaked out. I'm just like, I just re- remove it. So I want you to take a picture of the wall block and or block wall. And um, I want you to take a picture of it because I'm having trouble visualizing it. And so I think our listeners are too. So if you'll take a picture of it, I'll put it on our story. I'll take that? a picture of what it looks like in front, what it looks like on the path, and then the the rock. It's a lot of So work. do you want to hear about my garden? Absolutely, D. <laughs> Absolutely. I've gone on far too long. <laughs> well, I didn't get much done in the garden this week because I was in Nashville until yesterday, but I did do a little weeding. And the guys are mowing outside right now. They picked right now to do it. Of course they did. And uh that didn't sound good. Um, I think one of them just hurt the mower. But anyway, the guys are out mowing. And so you may hear that on the background. And so I did a little weeding. And I'm really trying to enjoy these last few days of fall before we get a bad cold front. Because you just never know when it's going to hit. Maybe November. Might be December. Anyway, I also deadheaded my Goldsturm Rebecca so it wouldn't spread by seed in addition by roots to its roots. And I know goldfinches like it. So nobody write me and tell me I'm robbing the goldfinches because I also feed them niger seed in the winter. And we don't have goldfinches except in the winter. And then I was trying to keep it from spreading everywhere. Because right. as you know, I dug tons of it up. So those little goldfinches, they eat the seed and then the seeds spread. Exactly. So we, need them, we need them to eat something else. That's right. So I That's wanted it. to ask you, well, I wanted to ask you a question and now I've completely okay. forgotten it. Oh, was it about mowing? So what is your first likely frost date? Um, it can be any time after October 20th. So ours is usually the average is October 10th, but I don't see any frost in the extended forecast yet. So it is going to be mm-hmm. a warmish late fall, I guess. Which will be nice, except for we just need a little nip of frost to get that good color. For fall, because, you know, when it nips down and then comes back up, that tells the sugars in the leaves, tells all of the chlorophyll to start going away. And then you're just left with beautiful Beautiful color. Yep. Orange leaves and stuff. And some years we have good color in Oklahoma and some years we don't. And it usually has to do with whether we get a frost or not. So are you going to do the quote or am I? 
Uh, the tradition is, D, that I do the first quote. Okay. Well, we wouldn't want to stop tradition. Gather ye rosebuds while ye may. Old time is still a flying. And this same flower that smiles today, tomorrow will be dying. That's by Robert Herrick, an English poet born in August of 1591. That is an old poem. It's an old poem. And I don't really think he's talking about true rosebuds. I think he's talking about youth. But he is. It's, yes. Because it's smiling. But I like it because I also see that my Desdemona rose is blooming and there's no Japanese beetles on it. So that's something happy. And I do, I do have some for very few roses. I do have a couple of uh, wildy rose bushes in the back. And I do think they're very pretty in the fall when they just have one or two blooms and just kind of not in there saying, get on with it, get on with it. Yeah, they sure are. But we aren't really talking about roses today. I'm so excited you're letting us talk about pansies. (laughs) Like we haven't talked about pansies the entire summer, but... I thought we should talk about pansies, fall pansies and violas, and some yes. of our favorite varieties of fall flowers, since I redid all my pots and stuff like that. Sure. So sure. I also thought of snapdragons, but we'll start with pansies. Well, you said, what are your favorite variety of pansies? And when it comes to the fall, it's whatever's for sale at the garden center, because there's there's not always a lot of choice around here. Mm-hmm. Pansies are sort of, you know, they can be a little bit uh, dicey in terms of whether you're going to get much out of them. And so the the variety that I've seen most places and well, two that I've been to is the Matrix series. And I know you've got some really pretty ones. Yeah, I have Matrix Solar Flare. Um, Matrix Solar Flare, apparently I like a lot because I looked back through my old posts on my blog when I was posting this post about my pan, you know, my pansies and stuff. And I write about matrix solar flare um, like every couple of years. So I must like it a lot. And I also like um, orange blotch for fall because it's orange with a, a real pretty dark center. And I used to not like faces on pansies, but I've now changed and I do like them. So, you know, for you. Gardeners, have, gardeners can change their minds. And then I mixed uh, snapdragons, a real pretty snapdragon that's kind of a, a salmon-y color. I mixed that with XP purple violas. So the snapdragons that I planted in the ends of my vegetable garden beds in March got through the summer. And if I would deadhead them a little bit more, they are starting to rebloom and they look very mm-hmm. pretty out there. So, and the same with alyssum which is another flower that can tolerate and prefers cooler temperatures. It got through the summer and it's really putting on a great big flush of bloom, which is perfect because so many pollinators are gravitating towards that alyssum. Yeah. It's a good plant for the fall and spring. It doesn't, it doesn't always make it here through the summer um, because sometimes we just get too hot for it, but it is really pretty and it smells really good. Right. Now, if if I had my druthers and I could tell everybody what to grow, mm-hmm. I still my favorite pansy series is the Frizzle Sizzle, which has a roughly beautiful. roughly petals. And mm-hmm. I know that Courtney at the greenhouse will have Frizzle Sizzle. And I know she'll plant a few extra flats because she knows I'll zero in on those. And I'm like, I need a bunch of those. 
a bunch of frizzle sizzle sizzle frizzle sizzle um in the spring i love the antique shades group it's the, you know it's got some pinks in it and some burgundies and such um but this year i went pretty much all orange and dark purple for my front and i've still got to get out my talavera pumpkins i waited until october to get them out because uh-huh. I add them in October. I am not doing real pumpkins this year, but we are going to talk about pumpkins in our vegetable segment. One other thing I want to say about pansies, especially in the fall, is they can die out from something called root rot, which is called by a fungus. And sure. uh, I lost a few this year from this, what I'm pretty sure was root rot. And that's where mm-hmm. the temperatures are still really warm. And it's very um, wet. And I was, I think I gave them too much water to compensate for heat. And so I lost some to root rot. And they, you can basically just pick the plant up and that, you know, it's just rotted at the root level. So, yeah, it just comes off. I mean, it just comes away from the dirt. Yep. Um, You also said something really important about pansies that I really liked. And that was deadheading. And so if you are planting pansies in Oklahoma right now, which you can plant them, well, the rest of this month if you want to. I would do it early though, so that they have good time to bulk up before we get really cold. But anyway, if you're going to plant pansies, go ahead and deadhead all those blooms off of them because that puts more energy into the plant and then they'll reward you with more blooms later. If you leave the blooms on, they get crushed anyway while you're planting them. And it's just a good idea to deadhead them. And it's a good idea when you see one that's spent and you're walking by, just deadhead it real quick. Yeah. It'll make it go faster. I've been trying to do that to some of mine, get them deadhead them and just kind of pick around on them when you got a few minutes. And so you said you, in our notes, it says that for violas, you like the sorbet series, that it's the most common. It is common. Yeah. And that's probably what you'll find. Although there is a, there is a viola that is a frizzle sizzle as well. I've never seen that. But that would be fun to see. And I like frizzle sizzle and I like um, antique shades in spring because they have those beautiful ruffled petals and they just look so, so much prettier than your average pansy. I will say, I don't know about frizzle sizzle, but I do know that antique shades, um, they don't tend to overwinter as well in Oklahoma. And so you just don't see them as much. And I also want to say that in Oklahoma, at least in Oklahoma City and Edmond area, which is kind of where I live, um, there are not hardly any pansies out there, which is weird. And I don't know why. And I I've asked a few questions, but nobody's really had any answers. So if you want your pansies, you better get out and get them. Besides you want to get them planted before we get cold weather. And they may over, they may ever winter and start again in spring. And if that's the case, we'll talk about those in spring and what you do for them. They will not overwinter in Indiana, in my opinion and experience, but um you know, that's the way it goes. Also mulch them uh, here. Be sure and mulch them. If you don't mulch them, they won't overwinter here at all. Right. Now, so. I did find a cooperative extension article from the University of Georgia that talks pretty much in depth about pansies. And that's why I was reading about the problems like the, the root, root rot, rot that they can get. So that is a very good article. And we will link to it because whether you're in Georgia or not, I think some of the, what's in that article applies to most of us. Also, it came up on Facebook, and you don't know this because you're not on Facebook, but in our Facebook group, it came up that um, sometimes it can be hard to get to our links um, through the apps on your phone. So 
on our Facebook group, I'm going to make sure and I post this, make sure to post this on Wednesday from our Buzzsprout feed, because it's really easy to access all of our links from there. And so if you're on Facebook, you can access it from there. Or if you're just online, you can listen to us on Buzzsprout. You don't have to listen to us on your phone. Very good. All right. That's enough of pansies, although it's never enough of pansies in my opinion. But this is not a pansy podcast. So no, thank goodness. It's not a pansy podcast. So you want me to do the quote? Of course. October is the treasurer of the year and all the months pay bounty to her store. The fields and orchards still their tribute bear and fill her brimming coffers more and more. But she with youthful lavishness spends all her wealth on gaudy dress. And that's by a man named Paul Lawrence Dunbar. And I think we have actually used his quotes before. And he is a very interesting person. He's an American poet. Yep. He is considered one of the very first African-American writers to establish an international reputation. His parents were enslaved people in Kentucky. That's right. And he, he grew up in the Dayton, Ohio area. Right. Because I think after the war, they moved to Dayton, Ohio, I think. I think so. Uh, but anyway, that we'll leave a link to his interesting history for anybody that wants to hear that. But speaking of gaudy dress, I guess we're going to talk about pumpkins, which neither one of us grew pumpkins this year, did we? No, I think you thought about it and then you decided not to do it. I, I grew a tiny cantaloupe, but I did not grow a pumpkin. Well, uh, pumpkins I, take a lot of work. <laughs> I Yeah, I, I grew that. Uh, I'll call it a miniature watermelon plant. And I was looking at yep. that thing again today. The tendrils only, the vines only got like 18 inches. I mean, it did nothing. And I'm, yeah. And I tried to grow a spaghetti squash under the corn and it just sort of disappeared on me. So it's, I didn't get any spaghetti squash, but I have grown pumpkins. And let me tell you, as we've grown people, you may grow pumpkins, please do if you want, but it is a ginormous vine and it will take over a very large area. Honestly, the best place I think to grow pumpkins, if I were going to grow them, would be in my compost pile. A lot of people because do. A lot of people do that because they are very greedy vines and the compost feeds them really well. And then they have lots of room to spread. So that's an idea for people next year if they want to grow them. They take right. a long time too. It would so you've got to plan with, them. It would have to compete with my fig that is next to the compost pile. I could just see it. Fig they could battle that pumpkin. out. Fig versus pumpkin. I like pumpkin. that. So, but you know, there's always the temptation to buy a few lovely pumpkins to put on your porch, but then the worst thing that can happen is they rot. So we found some good information about how to keep your pumpkins from rotting, whether you grew it yourself or went down and bought it at the grocery store or the local garden center. Right. And so some of our advice comes from a North Carolina extension agent. And the first thing you do is you wash them with a bleach solution, especially that side that touches the ground that has all the dirt on it. And a lot of pumpkins, it depends on the pumpkin, but a lot of the fancy ones, you'll notice that this, there's a side. Um, I've noticed on the big orange ones, I think they must set them on cardboard or something because they some they of them might, or maybe they're just tough. Anyway, so you wash it with a bleach solution. If you don't plan to eat it, which I never eat my pumpkins that I have sitting outside, you can coat it with food grade wax or you can shellac it. 
but there's some thoughts about shellacking and I, I don't want to get into all the details, just research it because sometimes it, I don't know if shellac is the thing that poisons um, creatures that eat the pumpkins, but there was some discussion about that the other day on Instagram. And I thought, Oh yeah, I didn't think about that, but I don't like squirrels. So I guess if one died, I wouldn't care, but that's just well, me. I think you, I think a bleach solution is enough. Maybe the food grade wax. I think the shellac is sort of a, you, you got to really want that pumpkin to last a long time. And then like a long time, it's going to be in the trash pile when you're done, not the compost pile, because you don't want to put that kind of thing in your compost. So one lady on Instagram and for life of me, I can't remember who it is. She uses olive oil on her pumpkins to give them that kind of shiny appearance um, after she bleach, if she puts bleach on them. And I think that might be a good idea. Of course, that might attract the squirrels. I don't know. Yeah. I might hurt them. Oh yeah. So the other thing is if you want to put them down, put a little piece of cardboard or something under them instead of right on the concrete, or if you have a wood deck, keep them off the wood deck. That's a good idea. Especially if they start to rot on that wood deck, they'll leave a stain. They will. And I don't know if I would put pumpkins on a wood deck. My pumpkins, the ones I do, are in my front garden and around my um, two pots that frame my uh, doorway. The problem with putting pumpkins there, real pumpkins, is that that's where all the water drains in my yard because I live on a hill. And so when the water comes down there, they sit in water if we have a rainy fall. And um, so I probably won't use real pumpkins there, but boy, it sure does make a pretty display. Yeah. My neighbors have a sort of this wire basket wheelbarrow thing and they pile that with pumpkins in the fall and that looks pretty nice then they're not i think that would be cute yeah and then it would just sit there and when you were done with the pumpkins you pick up that wheelbarrow take it to the compost pile and toss everything in it in there there you go i don't think they have a compost pile my husband and my son used to use my pumpkins back when i did pumpkins a lot they used to use them for target practice at the end of the year yeah they thought that was really fun there's something um there are some colleges where the kids will take pumpkins up to the highest building and drop them off the side. So as, as a fundraiser kind of thing, I'm not exactly sure. Yeah. They also have some people build catapults and catapult them across the fields to, I don't know. It's, it's and one then, of those things. Well, and then in, I think it's in Maine or someplace, those giant, giant pumpkins, they carve yeah, them the out. They ones. use, they carve them out and use them like little boats and roam across the water. People are plum silly of pumpkins, aren't they? But they are cute and they're sweet and they just make us think of fall. And if you want to make a pie, you you want to use either the regular pumpkin, not the fancy. Well, I guess you could use fancy ones, but I tend to use the little pie pumpkins because even a little pie pumpkin makes enough for at least one or two pies. Right. And then and there's sugar. Sugar. Of course, the last piece of advice, if you're going to buy a pumpkin, uh, be careful lifting it by the stem. You could just pull that stem right off. That's really decorative. Mm-hmm. It's like one of those fake handles. And then kind of push around, especially if there's a spot that was clearly on the ground, push around and make sure that it all isn't already rotting on you. So don't be right. afraid to poke it and say, are you good? Are you a good pumpkin? Are you a good pumpkin? <laughs> so this is how what I do with my pumpkins when I do. I seriously just go buy some, stick them under the trees in my front garden and let it go. I don't oil them. I don't bleach them. I don't do anything to them. And they still last until Thanksgiving. Yeah. There's a lot of work. You could make things a lot of work or you could do the D method. 
throw them out there and Which see is, what happens. And you know what? It works. There you go. <laughs> I shall do this next quote. Spring blossoms are fairy tales. Autumn leaves are tragic dramas. Mehmet Murat Ilden. I don't well, know. that's dramatic. And it is. <laughs> I don't even know what to think about that. So on so, the bookshelf, we have Fallscaping uh-huh. by Nayanandra. I cannot find that I have this book. So D, I thought you had it. <laughs> I don't think I do. I could not find it. I know you showed me the spine. And I thought you will just have to convince me that I need to get this book. Okay, so Fallscaping was written by Nan Andra and published in 2007, which makes it a pretty old book. But Nan is so forward thinking that it is really very, very current. And so I think it's a, and it, well, I love Nan. And I think she's one of the best plant combo people out there. I don't know anybody who puts together better combinations. For those of you who don't know Nan, because actually she doesn't get out much, she likes to stay at her farm and hang out with their llamas and just take care of things. Um, go look her up on Instagram or go look up her blog. And her blog is it just hey, flew out of, Hayfield. Hayfield. It's named after her farm. So Hayfield with an E. And so Nan has great ideas. Her plant combos are exceptional. She talked about ornamental grasses and varieties that we still use that are really good um, years and years ago. She also talked about seed saving, which nobody is better at seed saving. And Nan actually sells her seeds online. And I bought some from her this year. She talks about invasive plants and discussed it before anybody else did. She has a whole section on beautiful fruits and berries. I just think it was way ahead of its time. And it's, she's a true plants woman. Very nice. So that's Fallscaping by Nan Andra. I'm going to have to check that out. It's super cheap now because, you know. It's been out forever. Right. All right. I'll probably have to get it. Thanks. <laughs> well, Take seriously, a- you can get it used for $6. That's, I just looked it up. You could spend $6 on a dumb drink at the place that starts with S. The big S. The big S. <laughs> so, yeah, that would be, it'd be better for your garden. Let's put it that way to get that book. I think it would give you lots and lots of ideas. And then you guys could you know, you all could decide um, to plant like this. I did plant, oh, I didn't tell you guys about that. I did plant three winter berries. I planted two that berry, two females, because they're hollies. And so hollies have to have a male and a female. And so I planted berry heavy, which is a proven winner's one. And then I planted Mr. Poppins to be their pollinator. And so now that I have honeybees, all my stuff gets pollinated really, really well. Very nice. So you do the next quote. Nobody's garden needs to look like another's. And there is much to be said in favor of portulacas growing inside rubber tires, though perhaps not in front of Georgian mansions. But the point is that nothing should be in any garden that the gardener does not think is wonderful. And that is by Henry Mitchell. Henry Mitchell was an amazing gardener and he died in 1993. And the reason that you brought up that quote was because Adrian Higgin followed him at the Washington Post as the garden columnist. And sadly, you saw that last week was Adrian Higgins' last column in the Washington Post. And I had to subscribe to the Washington Post at least for a week so that I could read this column. And the column was actually kind of sad, but it was also kind of happy because Adrian's going to go plant trees. That's right. And I uh, dug a little bit further and 
He's a very, very interesting man. He's a trained as a classic pianist, amongst other things. But his garden mm-hmm. columns were always excellent reads and from a bygone era almost. They were just so wonderful. They're and extremely so, well done. They remind me of Alan Lacey's columns too. Um, and Alan Lacey, I, I just think that there was a real time when garden writing was very classic and it's that's kind of ended, but that's okay. Um, the sad part is not only did the Washington Post get rid of its gardening column, or we think so. I mean, maybe they'll have somebody follow him. We don't know. New York Times I mean, brought theirs back. Yeah, and that's Margaret Roach, and her columns are always excellent. It's worth subscribing to the New York Times for, and I don't like the New York Times particularly, but I love Margaret's writing, so I subscribed. And I I poked around the Washington Post and did all kinds of online searches, and I can't see that they have announced a new garden columnist, but I mean, I don't know that that's something you would announce while people are saying goodbye to Adrian Higgins. Right. So. So in Oklahoma, the Oklahoman, which is our state newspaper, although Tulsa does have its own newspaper, the Tulsa World, um, the Oklahoman just quit carrying its local garden column, which was written by Julia Laughlin, who's uh, the OSU Extension Service um, agent and educator, and Rod Moselle. And Rod Moselle is he's horticulture royalty in Oklahoma. Um, they didn't even get paid for their work. They donated their time to the paper and the paper still cut their column this, this week. I was going to say the Indianapolis star, which is the big Indianapolis paper. They cut the garden columnist, uh, I think about two years ago. And so I guess gardening isn't very important to newspaper people, no. which is too bad. It is very sad. And we need, you know, if people complained, I mean, I used to write for a local weekly paper here on my side of town and I got paid almost nothing to do it. And I did it for about three years. And then they just said, you know, new publisher and we, we can't afford your column. It's like $25 a week. And (laughs) I'm like, okay. But yeah, I know people read it because people would tell me that they read it and the Little greenhouse. If I wrote about a particular flower, they would be the next week. People say, Do you have? And so I used to give them a heads up about what I was going to write about so that when people came running in and said, Do you have? I could, they could say, Why, yes, we do. <laughs> that was so. smart of you to do that. So, um, well, I don't know even what to think about this. I know that. Um, Adrian is wanting to spend time in his own yard and he wants to spend time in his own garden. And I totally get that. I always enjoyed his columns. I thought they were really, really good. They were better than an average garden column. Well, in 1994 to 2021, that's a pretty good run. That's that's a long time. That's a long time of writing columns. So anyway, we wish him the best and we hope the Washington Post and all newspapers reconsider their stance on garden columnists, hire more garden columnists. The world needs more of that kind of writing, not less. Since gardening is the largest hobby in the United States, you would think that there were, that it would be a priority. But instead, we'll get more entertainment news because Lord knows we need that. Oh, yeah. We need all to right. hear about those people, those Kardashians <laughs> and stuff. All right. Rabbit holes. You do yours first. Mine's not very long. So mine's not very long either. Um, You know, until recently, I never, ever listened to audiobooks. I just never, they never hit me. I didn't have the time. And suddenly I'm like on my fifth audiobook. And I, 
I started listening to them out in the garden while I was weeding and stuff. And so I'm suddenly very into audiobooks. I can put them on one and a half times speed and usually still retain most of it. Mm-hmm. So I'm on my fifth book. And uh, that I think that the fifth book will be the book for next week. The one thing I don't like is you can't really mark any passages or, you know, go back no. and reread something that hits you. But other than that, I mean, they're fun. They are fun. I always wondered how those podcasters that do book podcasts read all those books and that some of them admitted the other day that they listen to books on one and a half speeds. I believe that because there's no way they could read all those books. Oh, no. I'm like, oh, come on, ladies. You can't read that many. And so you were listening to Wendell Berry novels. And we should say that the Wendell Berry novels are all um, narrated by the same man. And you know his name. Do you remember his uh, name? You know, I cannot remember his name, but he does a very good job with He's narrating. amazing. <laughs> and you can listen to those very easily at one and a half speed and and still retain everything. Yeah, because he speaks quite slowly, but he has that wonderful Kentucky accent and he's just amazing. So for my rabbit hole, we're staying in the same part of the country because I went to Tennessee. And while we were in Tennessee, we did the Jack Daniels distillery tour, which I thought was going to be boring. It's not boring at all. It was great. It was very, very interesting. But what happens when a gardener visits a distillery? She, gets she drunk? thinks about no, no. <laughs> No, you don't even drink until the very end you taste it. It's that much. Carol doesn't drink, so she's always worried that I'm drunk. Um, so <laughs> what happened? <laughs> so I thought about what it was made of because I really never thought, I mean, I knew it was, it was corn whiskey, but I never thought about the fact that, that it is only made out of corn, barley, and rye. Those are the components of Tennessee whiskey, and it's an all-natural process. And so they still use the same yeast that they used in the 1800s. It's wow. like a sourdough. Isn't that interesting? That is very interesting. And we got to see it fermenting, which was, and we actually got to smell it, which was really interesting because it smelled like bread. And what I thought was also interesting is that, that Jack Daniels, all the Jack Daniels that is sold around the world, and it's very popular, is all made at this one location, which is not that big. They have a lot of rooms, though, to keep it and let it sit because right. it sits for a long time. Right. And they make their own um, they make their own barrels to store it in. They do it all. And so what I was interested in also was the corn variety, because there were corn kernels, dried corn kernels all over the ground around uh-huh. where the distillery part is. And it's all I could tell because I'm a gardener and I've grown a lot of corn in my life. They use an old variety of yellow corn. And I asked our tour guide, because I'm me, I said, do they still, do they contract with all of their farmers to grow the same yellow corn? And she said, yes. And I said, is it a variety that they have selected? She said, yes. And you could tell, you could tell it was an old variety of yellow corn because the corn kernels were huge. Which are those big old ones? Yeah. Like, you know, those uh, snacks called corn nuts. Yes. That kind of corn. Huh. So it was fascinating. And so they were huge, long and yellow, but, but they, she stressed over and over again that they do not use field corn. They use edible corn that people would eat, but I could tell it was an old variety. So I was very interested in that. And I was very interested in how they made the charcoal and everything is used. So if they bring in trees to make the staves for the barrels, 
they use the other parts of the tree to make charcoal and charcoal lasts about a year. And the, and I didn't know this, but the difference between Tennessee whiskey and Kentucky bourbon is charcoal because they filter theirs through charcoal. Really? Huh? Mm-hmm. Kentucky bourbon is not filtered. So we stayed in Kentucky and Tennessee, which my people on my dad's side are from Tennessee. Very nice. I well, guess it's a bigger under- rabbit hole than I thought. It is. Let's go on to our garden commissions because we are we are once again way over time. Okay, well, you go first. So it's going to sound really repetitive and boring, but my garden commission is to spend an hour a day. So in the garden, I'm going to weed and tidy up. I've already spent my hour today, made another little calendar for October so I can X off those days so I don't miss any. Um, no frost in the forecast, so I'll probably still pick some tomatoes and peppers and... Uh, I noticed that my spring flowering bulbs have shipped 14 pound box coming this way, but I I'm weeks away from planting those. I was going to say, it's not time to plant yet. I'm weeks away from planting those. No, I won't plant those until the end of October at the earliest. And I'll plant mine around Thanksgiving. So I need to feed my bees and consolidate one of my hives. I think, because I was listening to one of my beekeepers who lives in Oklahoma. I'll just give him a shout out. It's sweet stingers. And they're, uh, they're, it's an apiary in Oklahoma, and he writes a lot on Instagram. So he said, go ahead and consolidate them down to one box if they're small. And I have to do that today or tomorrow and start feeding them two-to-one syrup instead of one-to-one. I'll keep weeding to get the garden in shape. And the rain helped while I was out of town. The good news is the rain also knocked down some of the ragweed pollen, so it's not as bad here as it has been. And also the pump in our red fountain pooped out and we'll probably need to replace it, but I need Bill's help to do that. That's all for me. Yeah. And you, you could just close it up for the winter and replace that pump in the spring. We could, we could, we usually put a heater in it, but we could, and I'd be okay with that. Anyway, we want to thank you for listening to the Garden Angelus. If you like our podcast, please tell your friends about us. Our challenge for our listeners this week is if every single person tells one person about our podcast, We would so appreciate it and hit the subscribe button so you don't miss anything. So if you listen to Apple podcasts, we'd love a five-star review. It helps us get noticed by others. Yes. Please go ahead and share with at least one person. Word of mouth is still the best way to get the word out there. And be sure and check out our show notes for links for more information about today's topics. And as Dee said, if they're not working on your mobile device, Mm -hmm. go to Buzzsprout, our Buzzsprout page, and you will find all the links there. Using those, some of the links are affiliate links. And so if you use them, we earn a small commission and it costs you nothing. It was lovely to chat with all of you over the garden gate today. Bye until next week. Bye, everybody.